I want to start right here. This is a kind of a standalone message, not part of a series, but I want to start right here in Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 12. It says this, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, it's a tree of life. All of us have gone through things where it just didn't play out how it hoped. Give me a raise of hands if you relate to that statement. Something went wrong, something happened, I was believing for something else, it just didn't play out how it hoped. And it leads to hurt, it leads to frustration, it leads to disappointment. We all get this kind of stuff, don't we? And the trouble is that such clever language, it makes the heart sick. I hope for this it didn't happen. And, and the heart is like your inner workings, it's your emotions, it's, it's your will and determination. Who knows when your heart goes out of something, you've just got no drive to keep it going anymore. My heart's out of it. And if your heart gets sick, your heart drops out of everything and you lose all your motivation for everything and your life just starts doing this. And disappointment can have that effect. Is there an amen in the house? We know this kind of stuff happens. Such clever language. So what I want to do today is just throw out some tools on how we can navigate those things better. You know, one of our statements as a church is we equip people for life through faith in Jesus Christ. Disappointments will come. That won't be the last disappointment you've experienced. But how about we get our lives around and embedded into the word, and so when the disappointment comes next time, my heart's not going to be sick. Because the next statement says, when the desire comes, there's a tree of life. You know, I serve the tree of life. So we're going to press into that. My title, if you are into titles, is It's All Gone Wrong. Lessons from Mary Magdalene. Let's have a little look at this. I'm going to start um, right near the end of the Gospel of John in John chapter 20. I'm going to read a few verses here, but let's picture the scene. Jesus has died. They're disappointed. They didn't see it coming. Even though he had explicitly told them what was going to happen, they didn't hear it. Anyone ever been there? All the teachers are in the room like, yes, I totally get that. I totally taught them that theory. I didn't listen. Jesus told them exactly what was going to happen, and yet when it happened, he was like, oh, can you imagine? Now, sometimes I feel like we look back at these stories and think we wouldn't have behaved the same, when actually we would have behaved exactly the same because we're people too. So let's look here in John chapter 20 and verses 1 and 2. It says this. Um, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So this is right at the start here. She's gone to, to, to the bodies, you know, she's, she's kind of messed up, she's frustrated, she's disappointed, she, she, she doesn't really know what to do, so she, she goes there, and the body's not there. And I love this. And this is our first lesson from Mary. In her disappointment, she chooses to go to Jesus, even when he's dead. In her disappointment, she thinks, what am I going to do? I just need to be there. I'm just going to go to Jesus. You know, we know that some of the guys went fishing. Some of the guys just wandered off and kept themselves to themselves. Mary went to the tomb. And I love this. It says here, right at the end of that, in, in verse 2, it says, They have taken away the Lord from the tomb, and we, everyone say we. we. And we do not know where they have laid him. 
I'm going to come back to that word we in a moment. If you're an underliner or a highlighter, highlight that word we. It's really, really important. It goes on in verse 3. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together. And the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloth lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloth lying there, and the handkerchief that had been round his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the, the other disciple, who came to the tomb first, went in also. And he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. There's a couple of things I want to pick out of there. You know, this is John's gospel. So John is writing. John is the author. He refers to himself as the other disciple. I don't know what you picked out there. But, but have a look here. They both ran to the tomb. And I'm not going to say who got there first, but it wasn't Peter. <laughs> the other disciple outrun him. I love John disciple that Jesus loved, knew love totally, but was a proper competitor. <laughs> I got there first, just highlighting it. There was a race and Peter didn't win. The other one won. But then you've got this idea of this, they've stepped there into the tomb, they're looking in, and, and did you see that language there? The handkerchief was folded. I don't know if you teach your children or if it's etiquette in your house, but when you're eating your meal, you know, if you're having a little break or you're having a glass of wine or juice or whatever it is you might be having and you're not yet finished, you leave your cutlery apart a little bit, don't you? When you've finished your meal, you put your, you put your cutlery together, don't you? That's what we do. You put your cutlery together because that, that means it's finished and Dad has to clear it away, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> What this symbolizes, the handkerchief being folded, is a Jewish term that means I'm not coming back. See, he's in the tomb, but he's not coming back to the tomb. You know, I, I have issues with this here. We're in a, in a Church of England school. It's awesome. But my Jesus isn't on the cross. My Jesus got up and defeated everything that could ever come at me. And he says, come on, Barry, let's go and join in together. You know, he's alive. He's alive. And the neckerchief, folded up and put neatly, is the equivalent of not putting your cutlery together. I'm still coming back to that meal. But then he puts it together and he says, I'm not coming back. And I love that. And that would have spoken to them. They would have known that. It ramps up from here on into, into verse 10. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. Yes, she did. And she, and, and she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. Then she said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when they had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She supposed him to be the gardener and said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabbani, which is to say teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, 
for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. How good is that? It just ramps right up there. And it begs a whole bunch of questions. You know, I, I, we love Jesus, don't we? But I do wonder if we actually encountered the Jesus on earth where he'd be a bit of a pain in the backside because he always asks questions, rarely gives answers. You know, think to yourself back to, to the pool of Bethesda. You know, here's the pool of Bethesda, and they believe that as the, as the waters are whipped up, that the first person in there gets healed. And there's all these lame and, and struggling people there trying to be first into the pool. And Jesus rocks up, finds a guy at the back who's been there, we know, for 38 years struggling with it all. And he goes up to him, and Jesus says, do you want to get well? I mean, is that literally the worst question you've ever heard in your life? I've been here for 38 years, lame, can never make it to the pool. Someone always gets there first. And Jesus says, do you want to get well? Do you know how he answers? What would you say? Yes, Jesus, I want to get well. Do you know what he actually says? Well, I can never get to the pool first because there's all these people in front of me. And it's just never going to happen for me, is it? And Jesus was, well, don't tell me the problem. Do you want to get well? Because I'm the answer. And it's just like, I sometimes feel like Jesus is asking us questions because too many people are reveling in their sickness. Oh, it's so difficult for me. Do you want to get well? Yeah, but it's so difficult for me. And Jesus is like, hello, do you want to get well? And it pushes something out of you. So here he is with Mary. Jesus knows what Mary's going through, but he says to her, who are you looking for? And she says, I'm looking for Jesus. Where's the body? It's gone. And I love this. And he then says her name, Mary. Can I say to you, church, Jesus knows your name. Jesus knows your name. Doesn't know our church name, well, he does know our church name, but Jesus is interested in you. Little old you sat here in Colchester in 2021, he knows your name. And when he speaks her name, she's suddenly undone. Teacher, it's you. And I love this. Then he commissions her as the first Jesus-ordained evangelist. Go and tell the others. Go and tell them. You know, we've had all these wrestles over the years with women and, and men and roles and the rest of it. Jesus wasn't concerned with that. You're the woman. You're the first evangelist. All the women went, amen. Why? Why her? Why not Peter? Why not the fast-running John? Why not Nicodemus? Why not Matthew? Why not these guys? And do you want to know why I think it was her? Because she showed up. She showed up. Everyone else was fishing, doing their own thing, dealing with their disappointment. But she came to Jesus. And then, in meeting Jesus, the disappointment was shifted. What was disappointment is now an exciting opportunity. Go and tell some people, I'm up. I'm not on the cross anymore. I'm out of the tomb. I've got the keys of death and hell and life. It's all with me. Come with me. Go and tell some people. 
Even there in, in verse 9, then the disciples went back to their own homes, but Mary stayed. She was determined not to miss something. She needed to be where Jesus was. Everyone else, and let's not pretend we all have it. Oh, I've got things I could be getting on with. I'm, not, I'm disappointed, I'm hurting, I'm just going to busy myself. But she went to Jesus and had the most exciting experience. Consider this as a thought process. Disappointment so often springs from faulty assumptions. Mary assumed Jesus was dead, but he wasn't. Mary assumed the body was stolen, but it wasn't. And in those faulty assumptions, she was living in disappointment. How about us today? I wonder how many faulty assumptions we make on a daily basis that lead us into disappointment, which is wrong. Because we're just getting it messed up. Let me take you on a thought process where I've lived often. I'm going to assume many of you will have lived often too. We get a desire, something we want to achieve, something we want to do, a relationship we want to have, an answer we want to get. And we decide what that should look like. Is anyone starting to relate to this? Come on church, yes, yes, there's a few honest people. We decide, what, and then, then what we do is we pray to God. We've already decided what it looks like. And then we tell God that he now needs to ordain our brilliant idea. Anyone live there? But then what happens when it doesn't pan out how we decided it was going to pan out? We get disappointed. We get disappointed with the situation. We get disappointed with ourselves. And we get disappointed with God. But the reality is we'd built our hope on a faulty assumption. You know, the, the, the word's full of the ways to do this kind of stuff. Proverbs 3 has been preached here two or three times recently. Trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding. And then he'll make your path straight. What is the order? God first, us last, straight paths. How do we tend to live? Us first, God last, wonky paths. And then we're like, oh, it's so frustrating. This life is so difficult. Sometimes I even wonder if God's really there. But it's based on faulty assumptions. I love this in Psalm 37 verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. The trouble is I think so often we interpret this as praise you Jesus, now I can have what I want. Delight yourself in the Lord. I came to church and I gave it the highest jump you've ever seen. Now I can have what I want because it says it. But this is how I like to teach that verse. I teach it like this. That some years ago, when my daughter Evie was probably four or five years old, I'd be putting her to bed at night and snuggling her in and having a bit of daddy cuddles. And we'd always pray. And after that, I'd say to her, tomorrow morning, shall we get up and make mummy breakfast in bed? And she's all wide-eyed to me and she goes, yeah, that's a good idea, that's a good idea. Was that Evie's heart's desire before I piped up? No. It's a simple question, people. That wasn't even in her thought process. But what happens is she spent time with her father. The father's snuggling, loving, doing life with, and the father drops out an idea. Because there's this heart connection, that idea suddenly becomes my daughter's heart's desire. I want to do that for mummy. Where did it originate? It originated with the father. But it then became the desire of the daughter. And so when she said, yes, daddy, can we do that? What does daddy say? Yes, I'm doing it with you. But it was always the father's heart's desire. 
So when we, delight, desire, when we delight ourselves in the Lord, what we need to be doing, or this is my encouragement to you, is spending time with our Father. And we need to ask a different prayer. God, what are you doing and can I join in? So often our prayer is, God, this is what I want and can you make it happen for me? And the thing is, we can go to the Father confidently because we know he's for us. Jesus didn't die on a cross so your life would be awful. He died on a cross to set you up to win and represent heaven well. So when we go to him and say, Father, what do you want of me? Let me feel your heartbeat. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Let me see things and people and situations through your eyes. He says, yes. And then your heart is shifted. I want to get involved in that. And the Lord is like, yes, you've delighted in me. And now you can have the desire of your heart because it was always my desire in the first place. Can you see the difference? That will never, ever lead you into a place of disappointment. In, in, in John 11, we find the story of Lazarus. You'll all be familiar with it. You know, his sisters are, are crying out to Jesus, come, Lazarus is dying. You know, the, the one you love, you love Lazarus. He's dying. You need to come now. And word gets to Jesus that Lazarus is dying. And if you look in, I'm not going to read it to you on the screen, but if you look in John 11, do you know what it says? Word gets to Jesus that Lazarus is dying. And then it says this, because he loved them, he waited two more days. Thanks very much. Because he loved them, he didn't bother turning up. Cheers, Jesus. Brilliant. Was it their heart's desire that Jesus would come? Yes. Was it Jesus' desire that he would come? Not yet. And here's the thing. He did turn up and he wept with them. But then he did this miracle. He said, Lazarus, come forth. Jesus' powerful prayers, three words. Oh, I've been in some prayer meetings there. Seven million words later, we haven't touched the ceiling yet. And Jesus is like, Lazarus, come forth. And out he comes. You see, in waiting on Jesus, and hear me now, waiting on God's timing, they got a miracle they didn't even have the ability to conceive. They didn't even think about saying, Jesus, would you raise him from the dead? They said, come now, we need you here now because he needs some healing. And Jesus is like, I can do better than that. Because I love you, I'm going to wait a couple of days. <laughs> because I want to bless you. Because I want to stir your faith. Because I want to show you something you can't even believe of me yet. But there's more in me. I want to tell you this morning, church, there's more in Jesus than you've seen yet. And sometimes we just need to get past ourselves and engage with the Father and say, it's not about me. What do you want, Lord God? Because as I step into your world and your timing, I'm going to have a story that's going to blow my socks off. Because that's what you want from me. Oh, there must be an amen somewhere in the house. God's timing. They could have built the assumption, and we might have done too, that Jesus didn't really care. I called out to him. He didn't turn up. Says he loves us. But they didn't. They waited. They waited and they waited. How painful must it have been for them to watch him die? It's easy to talk about it because we know the ending. But they waited. And when Jesus turned up, he wept with them and then he did something amazing. They received their miracle, all because it was always on the heart of Jesus. It was just about his timing. Another thought for you. Disappointment can be experienced from two sources. And you'll like this. 
One source of disappointment is when you don't get what you hoped for. It's like, oh, really thought I was going to get that. Oh, disappointed. The other source of disappointment is when you get what you hoped for, but it doesn't do what you hoped it would do. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. You know, I've always, I've, I've dreamed for years that I'd be married. Oh, and I've met this great girl or great guy. And oh, hallelujah, I've been praying for this for years. And then you get married. And it's flipping hard work. Who knows it's hard work being married? Yes, all the men, keep your hands down. Keep your hands down, men. It's hard work. Because two very clever and independent people are now living together and you've got both different ideas. It's easy when you're courting and it's all romance and la-di-da and flowers, lovely. But when you're sharing the house and said man doesn't put the toilet seat down. <laughs> it's hard being married. But what happens is you work at it together and you grow deeper in love. There is a blessing but it's not always what you think. Oh, Lord, if we could just have some children. We want children. We believe in the children. The children come along, and three years later, you still haven't slept. Hard. Yeah. yeah. It's hard. It's not always what you think. This is what I hope for. This is what I hope for. This is what I've got. And now I'm like, oh, this isn't what I thought. What about money? Oh, Lord, if I had a bit more money. Could have more money, Lord. Open, open the bank accounts of heaven over my life. Pour it in, Lord. <laughs> Just look at lottery winners. Nearly all lottery win winners are unhappy. Their life falls apart. Wealth doesn't guarantee happiness. You know, I'd like to have a go at trying, honestly. <laughs> but I know wealthy people who are certainly no happier than I am. And yet we put our hopes in these things. What about a title, a, a job, a, a better house, a friendship, a qualification, even a better church? <laughs> See, the trouble is, <laughs> the trouble is we place our happiness into things that can only deliver momentarily. And they lead to disappointment. And it's just like, I thought that was going to do it. I thought that relationship, I thought that new job, I thought that extra money, I thought that flash car was going to do it for me. And it did for a little bit. But in reality, I'm looking back and it hasn't done what I hoped. And now I'm, oh, I'm here again. You know, we've got, Sarah's got this little sports car. It's probably parked out in the street somewhere. And um, we, we decided we needed two cars. And my, my wife's quite flash. And um, <laughs> it's always good when you've got the mic, isn't it? The best thing about it is I'm a really fast runner, so she won't catch me. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and so she says, oh, I don't just want you know, a little put put, I want a little sports car. So we found, you know, we were researching on Marketplace on Facebook, and uh, we found this little sports car. Now, it's not expensive, but it looks expensive. It's a little cool car, and it's 200 brake horsepower. It goes like an absolute rocket. She loves it. She's like the blonde bomber. <laughs> absolutely brilliant we've got this car and we're all chuffed with it and yes we've got the car it's what we wanted and oh so chuffed about it and um we had it about a week and the turbo blew up <laughs> not because my wife ragged it too hard <laughs> i've always thought eight thousand revs are quite good 
And uh, suddenly the car was like, it's cost us a lot of money. It was, you know, knocking on for a thousand pounds. It's just like, oh, it wasn't money we put aside for it, but we, we paid for it and we did it. And the car's running again. And, uh, and then she came home from work and it had been parked on, on our drive. And we looked at the side and there's two massive great big dents in it. Some buffoons kicked our car or something. We weren't even in it. And it's just like, oh, now there's the faulty turbo and the dented car. And we were like, oh, dear. And then lo and behold, about three weeks later, I've gone to wind the window down and the windows won't go up and down anymore. They're stuck. <laughs> and it's really fine, all of that, until you go to McDonald's drive through <laughs> And so you turn up in this little sports car looking the part. I'm like, yeah, I'll have me double Big Mac, please, and nine nuggets and all the rest of it. And you get there and just open the door, get out. <laughs> it's a lovely little car. But it didn't do what we thought it would do. And I want to say to you, if you're putting your hope in people and things, they might please you momentarily. They might give you some happiness and enjoy them, really do. But that isn't where you're going to get your satisfaction long term. The bigger question, I think, and it's a deep one here, is this. Am I enough? Do I need all these things or am I enough? And if you could answer that, because the truth is, whatever gives you validation will have to give you validation for the rest of your life. Otherwise, you'll feel empty. So are you enough? You know, in Mary's disappointment, when it all went wrong, Mary went to Jesus. And she demonstrates three things that I want to touch on this morning. She demonstrates community. On the three, can you shout community? One, two, three. Community. She demonstrates generosity. One, two, three. Generosity. And she dem demonstrates intensity. One, two, three. Intensity. Do you notice how they got quieter and quieter and quieter? We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. I'm so disappointed right now. <laughs> if you can add these things to your life, I believe there'll be a blessing. Let me give you some tools. Let's look at Luke chapter 8 and verses 1 through 3. Now it came to pass afterwards that he, Jesus, went through every city and village, preaching and bringing glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who provided for him from their substance. Now, I bring this to your attention because this is near the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and what we begin to see in Mary Magdalene is her averages. You've heard me preach on this before. Every single one of us has a great day. Every single one of us has a terrible day. I don't believe your great day or your terrible day will define you. Your average day will define you. And so what we find here in Mary Magdalene is her averages. And almost every occasion you meet Mary Magdalene, she is in a list of names. She is absolutely found in and committed to community. Here we have this group of women, a connect group if you will. And they are women who haven't got it all sorted. And they've been through some stuff, healed of evil spirits, you know, working for Herod. It's just all this stuff going on in their life. But they are committed to being together and working through it together to become a bit more like Jesus. They're a small group. They're a community. Do you remember what I asked you to remember in the first passage, John 20? We underlined the word, we. Yes, very good. We're getting better at this stuff. We underlined the word, we. There we are. Why did I want to underline that? Because here we find her in this group of women. 
And later on, it doesn't say who they were, but I want to suggest to you, it's that same group of women. We went to see Jesus. We don't know what's happened with him. We are coming to tell you. They're still in community. So in Mary's darkest hour, when the one who healed her had died himself, what did she do? She stayed in community. Do not go through your disappointment on your own. We are called together. God positions us in families. He calls it the church. We call it the church. Those called out, we gather together. So when trials come, we have each other. You are called together. If you don't know many people in this church yet, can I say get someone's phone number, buy someone a coffee, get to know some people because when the time comes, they'll be there for you. We are called to do this together. Community is good. It's central to coming through disappointment in a healthy way. And I love this. And this, this next bit just breaks open all kinds of cultural ideas. These women, women were funding Jesus' ministry. In a time when women were probably fourth-class citizens. They were pushed aside, seen, not heard. But now Jesus didn't only include them. He said, uh, you can fund me if you want. And here's Mary. She's successful. Mary of Magdalene. It was a place of success and wealth. And she, her, she was named it. She had money. I, I, I love that with, with um, Chooser's wife. Here is Chooser stewarding all of Herod's wealth. And there God has put this woman right in the middle of it and says, okay, Herod, you can fund me ministry. Get in. That's by Jesus. I love that. Proper good sense of humor. But what did they do? What did they think it was important to do with their wealth? They gave. Generosity was at the heart of this community of women. And so what happens when their darkest moment comes and the one they had believed in died and they just didn't see it coming firstly they stayed together then they went to Jesus themselves and in other um, books of the Bible it, talk, it unpacks it a bit more and they say they brought herbs and spices they didn't come empty-handed in their disappointment they still had something to bring and I want to suggest to you this if you're living in disappointment or you find yourself living in disappointment in the future, still come to church for the community and still bring something. Because he's still God. He's still on the throne and he's still got you. Generosity. You've got something to bring. I want to suggest that actually generosity is one of the most potent forces to get yourself away from disappointment. Because what generosity does is it gets your focus on someone else. Because how can you be generous unless you're giving it away? which means you're sowing into someone else or something else and it gets your eyes off of yourself. Because it's amazing how we get all disappointed with our little lives until you find out how difficult someone else's life is. And then you're like, I could help you. And in the helping them, God's like, I can bless that. And generosity is just a helpful, God-given tool for life. And then we have this idea of intensity. And you, you read between the lines. So we know that Mary has been delivered of seven demons. So she's had a difficult life. But in that, we know that she's successful. She's got business, so therefore she's working hard. But within that, we know she is in community and following Jesus. The woman's got some go. Built a business, gone through her issues, forming community, following Jesus. She's got some intensity. Know this, Mary Magdalene was last at the cross and first at the tomb. She wanted to be there. Keep me away if you can. I'm going to be there to the last and I'm going to be there at the first because there's an intensity about Mary Magdalene that I think we can learn from. I love this. 
She's now speaking to Jesus, who she thinks is the gardener. Yeah? And she's like, oh, you know, where have you put him? I can imagine the intensity coming up now. You know, because we're reading it like, um, oh, they've taken him away. And what have they done with him? Where is he? I think it's more like this. Where have you even put him? <laughs> Give him back to me. Because she was intense. You've stolen my Jesus and I want him back. I think there's an intensity there. And this is where I think the picture grows bigger. It was their tradition to wrap the dead body in, in spices and herbs and cloth that would weigh just about half the body weight of the dead person on average. So let's pretend Jesus weighs 12 stone. He would have had six stone worth of stuff wrapped around him. And there's Mary going, just give him to me. 18 stone, I've got it. Come on, I'm taking him away. It's not a problem. Give him to me. There was an intensity in that woman that I want to learn from. I'm going to mean it. I want to be last there and first there. And I want to give him my time. And I don't want to say I'm too busy for it. I want to form community because there's an intensity that breaks disappointment. And we can all learn from that. I believe that in this kind of display, Mary is showing us that you can be as on fire for God as you want. We're all busy. We've all got stuff going on. But you can say, those things are important, but I'm on fire for my king. I'm going to go where he wants me to go. I'm going to be who he wants me to be. I'm going to speak to who he wants me to speak to. I'm going to pray for who he asked me to pray for. I'm making myself available because I've got more capacity than I'm getting out yet. I'm never going to allow myself to be lazy when it's the kingdom purposes at stake. And Mary was like, give me the body. 18 stone, I've got this. But there was an intensity in her that I think we can learn from. What could have been her greatest disappointment, the one who healed her died, but she was intense enough to be there. She was intense enough to show up when others were disappointed. She was committed to the community. She brought spices out of her generosity, and then she didn't leave disappointed. She didn't leave disappointed. Be clear on this, though. She didn't find what she was looking for. She came looking for a body. But when Jesus is central, it always gets better. You see, when we delight ourselves in the Lord, we'll always get more than we could have imagined. No eye has seen, no ear has heard the things I've prepared for those who love me. It's true. And sometimes I think we get about our busy lives and we justify things in our own little thinking. And of course we do that. But my encouragement to you today is ultimately it leads to disappointment. And yet when you throw yourself into a relationship with God, it never leads to disappointment. There might be moments, but ultimately it will never lead to disappointment. She came to honour a dead body, but he was alive. What she thought was the gardener. I love this little twist. She was kind of right. Because in Genesis 2, we see God plants a garden. Jesus was always the ultimate gardener. And I love this. Jesus, the ultimate shepherd, came to die as a lamb. And Jesus, the ultimate gardener, came to lay himself down as a seed. And when the seed dies, it bears fruit. And can I suggest to you, the fruit right now is you and you and you and you and you and you and you. Because
because there is a hope stirring up in his church. There is faith stirring up in his church. And that's because Jesus came as a seed and died and came out and said, who's with me? And he's looking for intense people. He's looking for generous people. He's looking for people who are committed to community. He's looking for people who want to get around him and chase after the things that are on his heart, laying aside our own cares and dreams and saying, what do you want from me, God? And I can promise you this, whatever it is you're dreaming for, God will give you more if you make it about him. I don't know a person in my life ever or read about a person who ever dreamed bigger than God. And he loves you. So could we apply these lessons from Mary Magdalene so that when disappointment rears its ugly head, it doesn't get us? In actual fact, we master it. And we leave better than the way we came in. I came disappointed, but I left with a hope in Jesus that's blowing my socks off. Is there an amen in the room? I'd love to pray for you. Would you stand up? Let me just invite you just to close your eyes if you're willing. Let's all have a moment. Amazing person that has come to church today. Every brilliant, amazing person that may well watch this back online one day. Thank you for them. Thank you for the hopes and dreams you've put in their hearts. Thank you for the gifts and talents you've put in them. We love you, Jesus. Just believe there's a bunch of people here today who are living in disappointment. I believe ultimately that's why God stirred me to bring that message. be a voice of hope to you disappointment doesn't have the last word Jesus has the last word so Lord God I lift up every amazing person today who's carrying some form of disappointment and it could be you could have been carrying it for years it could be a recent thing but you know it's there I want to challenge you it's not yours to carry it's yours to give to Jesus Lord, where people have said and done things that have hurt us and disappointed us, we let it go. We forgive them and we say sorry for holding it. Where situations haven't played out how we thought they would play out and we've sunk ourselves into disappointment, Lord, we say sorry and we look to you, the great bringer of hope, the one whose plan was always better than ours the one who is always for us and cheering us on. We come to you, Jesus, and say, arrest that disappointment. And I declare the word hope over you now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I believe there's some people here today who have lived in a space where you've said over yourself, it never seems to be my turn. It always seems to be someone else. Well, I want to break that curse you've been speaking over yourself in Jesus' name and say to you, it's your turn. It is your turn. Would you look to the Father? Would you look to Jesus and let him be the great opener of doors, the great healer of hearts?
be encouraged. Be encouraged in Jesus' name. After we close the service down in a few moments, I just want to make sure that you know there will be people here standing at the front who are willing to pray with you. And sometimes a prayer from the front, like I've prayed, is enough. And you and the Holy Spirit can walk through it. But sometimes it's helpful to talk to someone. Let someone lay some hands on you and pray with you and shift something. But do not leave this place carrying any disappointment because you don't need to. We serve the King of hope. Just with every eye closed, is there anyone today who would like to put their life right with Jesus? Maybe you've let that relationship slip away. Maybe you've never known Jesus and you're like, wow, I just want to put this right. He's welcome in my life. I'd love to pray a prayer with you. If that's you today, just give me a little wave and we're going to pray. Give you an opportunity to leave this place right with Jesus. Give us a wave if that's you. Just stick your hand up. That's great. God bless you there. So good. Okay, let's all pray together. One person responding. Exciting moments for people. Big moments for people. All of heaven is cheering. So I'll pray a line and you pray after me. Father God, thank you for Jesus. Today, I commit my life into your hands. You are welcome in my heart. I choose to follow you. You are my Lord, my Saviour, and my friend. I love you. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you, guys.